Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. I'm Salim Sitarwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shudo Jr. How's it going, Edward? How's your day going? I'm doing really well. It is, uh, it's been some interesting uh, few weeks. It's been an interesting year overall, but uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing all right. How, how's it going with you, Salim? Pretty well, pretty well. I was excited this weekend when my uh, shows returned that I watch a lot. Um, Doom, I don't know if you've heard of it, Doom Patrol. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's a really great show. I mean, it's a, it's a comic book show uh, based mm. off a comic book, but like, it's really well put together. Like, the storylines are great, and the actors uh, are really good too. And all mm. the actors really do a great job of like owning their roles and as far as how they act, the emotion, everything, the little details they put into it is it's really good. I don't know. You should check it out if you're really into that. I don't know if you're into the comic book uh, stuff. I know in the past <laughs> you've kind of had one of the people that have had uh, the comic book uh, uh, fatigue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the movies, like the movies I can, I can do every now and then, like at least the big ones. I'll watch a few shows here and there, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard of that show. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of people that own their roles and job, we have a returning guest today, uh, Tony Gill, who has been up to some new and exciting stuff with NBC Sports Chicago, where he's the producer of their podcast line. And he also narrated the Sports Uncovered I'm Back episode. Uh, we'll also go get his thoughts on some current Bulls-related stuff as well. Uh, hey, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Edward Sleem, thank you guys for uh, having me on again. Appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for coming back, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you uh, join us. Uh, so let's get into it. To start off, well, when you did the research to do the narration of the the episode of, of the Sports Uncovered, uh, then also watching The Last Dance, do you think it changed your opinion of MJ in any way, being that you are someone that might not have a lot of memories of the 90s Bulls team? Uh, No. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, man. I mean, uh, look, I've only worked in, you know, sports media in Chicago for about maybe six years or so, six or seven years. Um, but in that time, you know, you get a chance to meet and talk to the people that were there, uh, the people that did have those conversations and were living and covering those times so um, on top of the you know prior research being a fan being a uh a fan of the team one a fan of basketball the other um so you you get to know a lot um about just the inner workings of who michael was and how the bulls were uh back in the day um so yeah no um my opinions have changed about Michael specifically. No, um, I always thought he was, he was a, he was a shark. <laughs> I mean, that dude was, uh, in terms of a mentality, he was different than, you know, everyone else. And that's how I kind of left it. I didn't expect Michael to be the greatest human being ever, or, or like these lawdy expectations of a, you know, godlike figure. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, it was strictly Michael was was a killer, and that was that was what I learned is just the levels of it, you know, like the the in depth pettiness, the the things that he remembered or things that he made up uh, to get himself going, or or the reasons why he did things. Um, just learning more of those stories as the Last Dance came out, and then doing. Uh, this research and all the interviews for our sports uncovered episode. I'm back. Um, yeah, that was that was generally it. Like, there's nothing new in terms of information about Michael Jordan that changed my opinion about Michael Jordan. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, it, there was no new information about Jordan, but what's one thing that stood out to you just about? I'm back and, and the last dance. Like, what's one thing that you really maybe not like took you back, but it was just something that like just really stood out to you about everything. Well, um, I don't want, I don't want to like, because of what we covered was more specific than what the last dance, uh, covered. 
Um, I don't want to like kind of blend the two, you know, at all. I think, I think they do each project does a uh, great job of telling uh, its own story in its, in a specific way. Um, I'll speak for uh, sports uncovered um, because I directly <laughs> connected to it. Um, the, the story of, I mean, what we revealed in sports uncovered with Michael being basically a warrior for a couple days um, was, was something that we were surprised that actually the last dance didn't go over we were kind of sweating bullets, you know, hoping that, you know, our, our, our episode would be ruined because of just the in-depth nature into Michael that the last dance were doing. I mean, it, it was more, the last dance was more of a Michael Jordan kind of documentary in his career as a bull versus a bulls documentary. Um, so we thought for sure that, they were going to cover it eventually. And when they didn't do it, um, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, and we were like just super excited and super surprised uh, that they didn't because it seemed like such a key moment in Michael returning after the first retirement. Uh, we thought for sure that they were going to get to it and they didn't. So we had you know all the range to be the ones to open that door for the audience at like, the very few stories left that are out there about Michael, we got a chance to tell it. Uh, so that was very exi- exciting and exhilarating uh, that we had the opportunity to do that, to, to find out something that nobody else, you know, knew about in detail uh, was, was, was great for us. Excellent. As far as the process is concerned, tell us about how that worked out for you, especially with it being, uh, the pandemic going on, obviously your your access to certain things were probably not as it would be if it was everything was normal um, as far as your you know, normal work day would be concerned, if you will. So how, how did that work out for you? Like, were, was it extra challenging or um, did you what, what kind of like things that you have to like, you know, work around? Yeah, it was definitely challenging. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I mean, we had a couple more things planned right before the pandemic hit. Uh, one, for example, uh, we had coach, uh, then coach of the the Warriors, Don Nelson, who is currently living in Hawaii uh, on his marijuana ranch. <laughs> um, we had plans to go to Hawaii and interview him to, you know, confirm the story that, you know, why, or and why did he allow Michael to basically disrupt his practice, two practices uh, in the middle of the season. Um, and he was down for it. We connected with him. Uh, we were right there to, in terms of booking a flight to Hawaii. Uh, and, you know, coincidentally, the pandemic, the pandemic hit right before uh, we were scheduled to go. So um, I guess it's a blessing and a curse because we could have been stuck in Hawaii, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Uh, but the downfall is we couldn't, get Don on the podcast just because of the timing and, you know, things like that. So, uh, so, so that was difficult. Um, also not being able to basically for the last two months of the project, I wasn't able to see any of the people uh, that I was working with on the project, Ryan McGuffey, Mike Allardyce, um, the other people involved in that episode, it, I didn't see him via, I mean, other than a via Zoom conference call, uh, but not to be able to physically come together and generate more ideas to make it even better uh, was, was pretty difficult. But I thought we did a good job of coming together, uh, doing what we had to do to get the episode out and prepared and uh, ready to go. Um, also, you know, narrating the podcast was also difficult because that's kind of like the final step to these things. Uh, once you, you know, have the plan out, you script it out, and now it's time to voice track everything and put everything in order. Um, I had to do that all on my own. Um, I couldn't use any of my prior uh, relationships with 670 to score because their studios closed. Uh, our studios were closed. So I had to do it in my closet. I had to make, had to make a makeshift studio in my closet uh, to make it sound studio worthy. Uh, this is a this is the biggest project I've ever worked on, and I had to record it in the closet. <laughs> it's funny how <laughs> yeah, these things uh, work out, but it ended up it 
turned out not too bad. Um, of course, I would have loved to work in a more professional studio setting, but hey, you 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 know you work with what what you got. Mm. Uh, so I was uh, able to get that done. Um, hopefully, it didn't sound too bad. Uh, I thought I'd make some a couple of tweaks here and there uh, to make it sound uh, studio quality. So. Uh, yeah, there were definitely some issues uh, due to the pandemic, but um, I was glad that we were able to kind of get it done despite all of that. Ah, it sounded great uh, for sure. I know I was going to joke, say, did, did you have to put like, uh, I must, I under, saw like a movie once where they were putting up like coffee holders uh, against a wall to keep the sound out of the studio. Yeah. <laughs> did you have to do stuff like that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to stuff my. I had to, so to make sure that there's no echo. I mean, just putting stuff in the closet, putting stuff up on the walls and uh, on the ceiling. The the uh, drink holder, drink carriers. Uh, I mean, it's 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 weird when you have to ask, you know, drive through places. I just need like thirty drinks. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it's weird man yeah like, yeah asking for that but you know you gotta do what you gotta do man to make this stuff work out like you know gotta get creative things, yeah you gotta get creative in in a, in a creative setting and when and when you want to do something and you want to perfect things and you want to make things sound or, or and and be as the best that it can be you you go you, you'll be surprised at the lengths that you will go to uh, to create the best art you can. So I've, I've definitely found that out during this, uh, and, and I'm proud <laughs> it, uh, it turned out okay. So did you did you have a part that really stood out to you doing the whole recording? I know you mentioned, obviously, with the Warriors practice, but uh, was there another, like, something that, like, was, like, really surprising and shocking to you that, that came out while uh, you were maybe, while these interviews that were happening with some of these other people that uh, appeared on the uh, uh, show. Um, surprising. Um, you know, at this point, when you, when you do so much research and you talk to so many people about uh, about Michael, and also you, if you're a a real basketball fan, there's n- there's not a whole lot of of, of surprising things. Um, only like just kind of just interesting uh, things like. Um, like the facts, for example, uh, how that came about, where uh, David Falk, Jordan's former agent, uh, discussed that with us on uh, Sports Uncovered, just how, you know, how simple that came about, where in a time where athletes aren't really, really expressing themselves as they are today, uh, there is no social media, there is you know, not really, unless you sit down for an interview, no way to get your voice and personality out there. Um, he essentially made the greatest facts, you know, of all time, just because of uh, the impact. Um, and it was just the simple two word I'm back had everything in it. There was no fluff. There was no, you know, you knew what Michael's intentions was and what he was trying to do with that fax and having people retell the story the day of his first game, just how um, grandiose it was uh, prior to the, the final prior to the final edit that you guys got to hear. I made another edit, another cut, uh, a deep cut with uh, some unlicensed material. Uh, that really set that stage and really set that scene. Um, if you go, if, I mean, the game is on YouTube. If you want to look at Michael Jordan's first game uh, back after the first retirement, uh, I mean, NBC did an excellent job of really setting that scene. Uh, Bob Costas uh, had an opening monologue that that really just kind of made you aware of how big that scenario was and I wanted to play that but we didn't have the the rights to that the NBA currently uh, and Michael Jordan uh, coincidentally owns the rights to all of that uh, but yeah man I mean that that day NBC setting that scene on how on how big that day was for the world uh, was really uh, was probably the most interesting part outside of the warrior stuff because you know in today's time, where athletes are as accessible as they are, uh, we really don't get that feeling, you know, like Michael Jordan was this 
the first, um, I'm not going to say the first, Muhammad Ali was probably the first, but one at that point, nobody knew just how big of the impact that Michael was having on, on not just American culture, but global culture, how many people he were, he was influencing, how many people he was uh, connecting together because of his play and because of uh, who he was as an athlete. So going into that time period, basically time traveling back to that era where, and, and talking to people and having them relive those moments uh, was really interesting and in doing a deep dive because um, I mean, the, what the biggest sports thing that's happened, you know, in terms of just on court stuff was what the LeBron decision uh, and this Michael coming back was, was, I mean, makes that it, it pales in comparison uh, to what Michael did when he announced that he was coming back to, to play basketball. And, and that's something that I've learned that look, man, the world was paying attention to this. Literally everybody in the world wanted to see Michael Jordan come back. And, and that was probably the, the second most interesting part about uh, doing this project. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I was, I was a little kid and personally, and for like the whole time, I, I, I wanted him to come back. And then there was like rumors of him maybe coming back and things like that. And then when it was finally announced, I didn't believe it. I was like, I thought someone like, I remember, I don't know if it was like a, a cousin of mine or somebody told me, hey, Jordan's coming back. Did you see? I was like, no, he isn't. You're lying to me. I, I couldn't believe it that he was finally actually coming back to play because I thought it was a done deal and that he was retired and he, was not, he wasn't going to play again. And I was just... I was like shocked and excited and I couldn't wait till like that Pacers game. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people did a lot. A, a lot of people were, were waiting in uh, with bated breath, especially once Jordan started to come to the, uh, the United center more, not the United center, but the, the Birdo center to practice more frequently. Um, the rumors just, I mean, we told the story, like the rumors were starting from there. Why is Michael coming consecutive days to the Birdo Center to practice? What is he looking to do? Uh, I mean, reporters after reporters just standing around, spending nights or getting there extremely early in the morning to, to try and catch a glimpse of Michael entering the Birdo Center to see if he was coming back. So, yeah, a lot of people were were on, on edge during that time period. I still think it's interesting that – or not even interesting, but just remarkable that – he was able to even show the flashes of greatness that he did when he came back because he was transitioning from training as a baseball player to training as a basketball player. And I, I just can't even fathom how you do that and then get on the court and then you're able to eventually at some point drop 55 points against a really good defense. Like just the fact that he was able to make that transition is just absolutely nuts when you think about it. It is. And um, it's tough because, you know, people, they, you know, look, the in the end, the Bulls did lose, <laughs> you know, in the playoffs yeah. uh, to Orlando that year. But just the the nerve, if I can use that word of Michael to believe that I can do it. Um, I can make this transition mid-season and come back. And he, he played fairly well, um, considering. Like, I mean, again, a couple games later, scoring, you know, 55 points. Like, there's not many people that can do that. But, I mean, I, I would say there's, there's – it's one of the rare gifts of elite athletes is to be able to uh, transition, you know, in between that. That's why we haven't seen that a whole lot at the professional level, just because of how hard – uh, it is. And Michael was able to, you know, kind of flip that switch over when it was time to play basketball uh, because that was something that just basketball came natural to him. And once he was made physically ready, I mean, he's an older, uh, an older player at this point when he, you know, was working his way back. Uh, he's not this young spry uh, kid like he was in, you know, the, the late eighties and early nineties. Uh, this is the mid nineties and this was different. He was away from basketball. So getting himself prepared, uh, to go was was probably you know harder or one of the hardest things that you know he was able to do, but he was determined to make that comeback, and then he did. Yeah, for sure, and it's it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting parts even to uh, that 
the whole uh, uh, episode where I found the most interesting is where Tim Hardaway and Glenn Rice like conceded to MJ uh, thinking that the league wasn't in a good place. I was kind of really surprised by that. Like he flat out, like there was like a soundbite that, that, that wasn't in the show where he kind of went and explained by when he left, uh, when he took over for magic and Larry, uh, he, he thought that, you know, he could carry the torch. And when he thought he said he was leaving, he caught, he thought someone else could carry the torch for him, but that he didn't see that, that he didn't feel that that was there. And that was another reason why he came back. And then you saw some bites from Tim Hardaway and Glenn Rice kind of agree with them, which was kind of interesting just because they, those guys were kind of the stars of that, of that time. And to hear stars like that, like Tim Hardaway, who was, I believe a hall of famer now, uh, say, Hey, yeah, uh, he's right. So it was, it was, that was fascinating to me. That's one of the other things uh, that was interesting about Michael um, is just the amount of players in the league that just kind of seceded things to Michael. Um, you see guys now currently, uh, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, like not bowing down to LeBron James's greatness. They respect LeBron James, obviously, but are willing to challenge him on that level. Uh, like, hey, I mean, I know you're right now supposed to be the greatest player ever, but I'm not going to take that sitting down. And just the amount of players in the 90s that was, I don't want to say afraid of Michael, but afraid of Michael <laughs> um, uh, at, at the peak of his powers to just say, look, man, Michael's the dude. That was it. And once he came back, that was that was it for the, the rest of the league. And for to, to hear that, from players knowing how competitive they are to give that uh, to Jordan was, uh, was pretty, <laughs> was pretty interesting. Yeah. He was just a really rare player that he could just flat out tell you what he was going to do based off whatever motivation he got from something and he would follow through on it. And then at the same time, during the peak of his powers, he was preventing so many hall of famers from winning championships and LeBron, I mean, as great as LeBron is, hasn't really been able to prevent similar like players from winning championships. I mean, really the only, only thing LeBron did, I guess, like in terms of preventing players from winning titles is maybe preventing the uh, 2010 Bulls from doing anything. So it, it is just crazy when someone like Jordan can just, prevent so much talent from ever like grasping that title at the top and i mean if that's the case then yeah i would be intimidated i'd be scared too it's just like it's like seeing bigfoot just staring bigfoot in the eye yeah and and that's made known by how we remember those uh those 90s rockets teams that won two championships in that decade but uh just internationally that doesn't matter to people or that doesn't hold with people like if you ask you know a random person that says you know yeah i i like michael jordan like do you remember the coach of the houston rockets when they won those two championships they would have no clue because <laughs> those two championships didn't matter because michael jordan wasn't in the league to a lot of people and uh, i don't want to disrespect what houston did they did win two championships they are uh back-to-back NBA champions, and uh, I don't want to discredit that, but the truth is the 90s were – the 90s era was Michael Jordan, and that's all people remember, and that's all people will, you know, talk about in terms of an impact on their lives going forward. Unless you're in Houston, then it it matters a whole lot. Hmm. Definitely. It's a very very good uh, episode to listen to, worth a listen for sure. Uh, as we transition over here, I would love to get your thoughts on obviously the current Bulls team. Uh, with obviously the Bulls have hired uh, Arturis Karnaschevis and uh, Mark Eversley to bring on as the VP of Basketball Operations and the GM, uh, respectively. Uh, how, how have you so far liked their process, if you will, and how they have uh, maneuvered around on filling out like the assistant GM roles and? Also, eventually, obviously, moving on. Uh, Karnisovic, obviously, moving on from Gar and hiring Mark Eversley. And obviously, with them, also, 
I don't know, reviewing Jim Boylan. I don't know if that's a right word, but how how have you thought about all the the process so far that, that that's been in place? Um, I don't think uh, any of us are in a uh, position to criticize just yet <laughs> um, about anything. So I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm definitely okay with uh, how they've gone about their process. Uh, and a big thing is that they know what they want and they know what they want to do. Uh, they're, they're not kind of, um, what's the, the white word? They're not lollygagging around with their decisions. They know what they came here to do. Um, all of that stuff of what can I do was talked about in the interview process. Um, in terms of who can I hire, how big can I, all that stuff was worked out in the interview process. So now when they take their jobs now, it's all about, here's what I want to do. They have a plan. Um, they've gone about that plan, um, executing wise uh, very well. And uh, because the season is still kind of shaky and the scheduling is still kind of shaky, it's, it's caused a pause uh, in a lot of man more maneuvering. Uh, and I know Bulls fans are, you know, worried about, oh, what are we going to do about Jim and uh, some other things. But the league is still in flux right now. Um, I know teams still plan on uh, – the, the league still plans on going about their bubble plan. But, I mean, with that spike in Florida, I mean, any nobody has played a game yet. So until there's an actual game played, everything is still up in the air. So that, that leaves decision-makers – um, kind of up in the air as well. So I, I, one, I wouldn't worry about, you know, any stalling, uh, you know, head coaching and stuff like that. Uh, but because again, Mark and, and Arturis, uh, one thing that they have said repeatedly is they want to get the full picture, the full scope of why things haven't been working out. Um, they can make assumptions, uh, they can do all that. We can make assumptions. I mean, we have followed the team, you know, basically our almost our whole lives, and uh, we can definitely say what we think is wrong. But uh, from a first-hand basis, they want to know and talk to everyone and get detailed reports from every player, every staff member, every uh, person in in the executive space. Uh, what were the practices before that caused this to go as wrong as it has? Um, and how and what can they do to make the transition to a new era uh, smooth um, and, and but also in the right direction? And they they really uh, take care of of that part of their decision making is making sure they do the right thing and make the right decisions uh, because everybody's watching. Uh, fans across the world. I mean, the Bulls brand is a large brand. Uh, NBA, you know, was dominated by the Chicago Bulls for a decade. So th the Bulls matter as an organization. Uh, so everybody's going to be watching how uh, they rebuild this franchise. So uh, I have no issues with how they gone, how uh, they have gone about doing their job so far. Um, again, just because this is new, that it doesn't mean that they can't be held accountable the same way we held. Uh, John and Gar accountable for their actions. It's the, the honeymoon stage is, is soon going to be over. And once business starts to become more normal and, and people start to uh, get in their normal uh, uh, modes uh, of work, it's going to be the same thing. All right. What's, what's the next step on Jim? Okay. What's, what's your plan for the draft? What's your plan for free agency? Like we still got to hold these guys accountable just because they're new. Doesn't mean it's any different. And I think Bulls fans should definitely do that. It seems inevitable that they're going to fire Boylan, though, at some point. I mean, just I, I think they I think they came in with a plan. Like you said, I think they, they came in with a plan. They know what they want to do. But as you said, they want to make sure that they do all of their intel and they want to get the full scope of things. And then at the same time, like there's been rumors that uh, and, and you alluded to it, there's been rumors that the teams that who were not invited to the bubble may also get to form their own like little bubble as well yeah. and they and they're gonna play another league i guess and i guess that would help kind of 
uh, offset the long offseason because uh, the offseason for the teams that didn't make the uh, the bubble could be like nine months. And that's unprecedented. So a lot of teams are concerned that, OK, if we have nine months, like how are we going to keep players in shape and get them this development time and stuff like that? So if that's the case, then you definitely need Jim Boylan to coach those eight games or however much it's going to be. So uh, one, one thing I do want to ask you, though, is given now that we have this new front office and all of the things that we saw that went wrong with the Gar Pack or Gar Foreman and John Paxson regime, is there something to you that you think this new front office has to do to really be able to get the trust of fans back and move this thing into a, a better place? Well, it's only by winning um, at this point and being a, uh, a serious uh, contender. That's the, only, that's the only real way for them to get the respect that, that they want. Um, fluffy words and all that stuff, that's not going to do it for a fan base that's starved of winning and hasn't done any legitimate winning for a long time. Um, I mean, if you want to be real, like the, I, I love Derrick Rose. (laughs) Um, I grew up watching Derrick Rose, went to Derrick Rose games and, you know, when he was in high school. So, um, but that was quickly snuffed out due to injury. And of course, trying to get through LeBron James. Uh, So there hasn't been any contending in finals visits since Jordan. uh, And that's an issue. So um, no matter what they do, they can fire whoever um, they can, you know, bring in whoever, but if it doesn't lead to any results in any real winning, nobody's going to respect you. It's just going to be the same old, same old, and we're going to be in the same spot. So they understand that they understand. I mean, they've come from, you know, organizations that are on a winning pace. Now mm-hmm. uh, the way they built that thing ground up with really no free agents. Um, they, they, they went in on, all player development. And so has uh, Mark Eversley with the Sixers where they were really, really bad. And now they're really, really good. <laughs> so they, they've seen those things and they understand how important winning is in terms of gaining respect. If you're not winning, what chance do you have in a free agent room? Mm. You know, like, yeah, of course, Giannis would fix everything. But if you were to go into a room with him right now, what is, what is he going to say? What, what are you bringing to him that's tangible? other than we aren't John Paxson and Carr Foreman. Like, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to fly. Players aren't going to trust you with, you know, four or five years of their careers if you don't have any results on the table or have a plan on the table. And you need both. You need a plan, and you also need stuff to to back up what your claim is um, that you want to give and that you think that would benefit said star player when you're in that free agent mood or even when you're talking to a rookie that you want to draft like it's not just that one-way thing like you can um of course in what it's currently constructed um players have to go through a draft process and you select them but um we've seen players you know not want to go to specific teams (laughs) Um, Mm. so i mean that stuff does happen so in, in order for uh the bulls organization to gain that respect that you were talking about uh, they got us. They have to win, and they have to uh, have a focus on on developing from the from the inside first. Uh, how do you handle growth on the inside in terms of player, in terms of player health? Like all of that stuff matters because players talk. Players going to talk to other players. Coaches going to talk to other coaches. So if you're not doing it the right way, it's going to come out and it's going to leak out. So um, winning winning is probably the the thing that'll that'll start changing the narrative about the bulls yeah definitely I, I one thing i would hope though while I, I i agree with you that winning is going to be important uh, when it's all said and done it's if they can build a contender i do hope that they don't feel rushed into saying well we have to be a playoff team next year type of thing i think they should still do what moves make sense for them if that be blowing up the roster 
uh, trading certain players like Zach or Lowry or Wendell. Like I know guys that I like that I feel like I might not have been given the best opportunity under a guy like Jim Boylan. But still, if they feel that this is the best route to go as far as reconstructing this roster, I would hope that they do that and they don't feel any pressure from the fan base that is, you know, desperate to get back into playoffs. That's a, I, I get what you're saying, uh, Salim, uh, but that that's a tough sale, <laughs> um, uh, especially knowing the, the talent uh, that Zach has and, you know, Larry Marketing seems to have. Um, I, w- I will say this. If they if if that is the route that they think is best, um, we should allow them to do that. You're right. You're correct. We should allow them to make the best moves that they think, and then we can judge it uh, later uh, because it at that point in time won't have any uh, results or anything. But I one I don't I don't think that they take this job if the cupboard is bare. If they didn't think that it was workable talent that they can use um, already on the roster. If they thought that there's no one on this current team that they see as a long-term player for this team, I don't know if they take this job. Uh, So, uh, and they've said that, Uh, of course, there, there, there are few uh, media uh, scrums and and visits and talks uh, about their plans and what they see the bulls as Um, I I don't think, that they see the cupboard bare here, and they shouldn't. Zach is a very good player on a really good contract. Laurie Markkinen is uh, s- seemingly a talented player, just not put in the best uh, position so far. Kobe White has shown flashes. Wendell Carter has shown flashes. So uh, the, those core four, everybody else is kind of more interchangeable after that, uh, but those four core players, I mean, if when you talk about like significant movement of the roster, I, I just don't see them moving on from them so quickly, especially if they believe that they haven't been in, uh, put in the best position possible. So uh, they're very detailed oriented. Like I said before, uh, they're going to want to see what they look like um, in terms of all right, if 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 we don't think Jim is the best coach to get the most out of this group, let's bring in one that we think can get the best out of this group. And then we have a better base to make a decision on who do we keep and who do we move on from. Um, but uh, but if they want to move on from the players without actually seeing them play together as a, as a core group, um, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt initially, um, but it will be a, a linchpin as, okay, this was one of the major moves that this group has done. Let's see how it works out. If it doesn't work out, they're going to get taken the task. That's what you know the media is for. That's what the fan is for. And they should be taking the task if it goes wrong. And if it goes right, they should be uh, lauded and, and, and praised for it. So do you think that they're – so I guess this is kind of a two-part thing, but – do you think there is a coach who can reflect everything that they're that reflect this new regime and kind of get the wheels spinning? And then at the same time, if they hire that coach, do you think it's fair for fans at this point? And, and granted, there's a whole off season, but do you think it's fair for fans to just go into the next season saying, okay, the bulls have to make the playoffs. Like, regardless like they they have to make the playoffs in order for things to really start changing here for the front office to really get on the fans good side this team has to be like a a winning team like right off the bat immediately uh no um i don't in terms of making the playoffs um that's that's a tough ask considering i mean uh, if you look at it from a standing on where they are in terms of their record um, they were right. They were right there. You know, a few games here or there, uh, games that they probably should have won. Like they were in the mix mm. for that, you know, for that AFC. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that the Bulls uh, can't make the playoffs. I mean, the expectations before the season started uh, this year were that they yeah. should make the playoffs. Uh, so if, you know, another year of experience, uh, a team that, probably should get more healthy um, a team that won't have major roster turnover 
for the first time in a while. Um, you would assume that they ha- would have even, an even better chance of making the playoffs uh, if last year playoffs was the goal. Um, so if they don't make the playoffs, yeah, it'd be you know kind of disappointing. Uh, but they got to make some strides again. Their their core pieces here uh, that can play decent winning basketball. Like I don't want to give them an out just because there's a management turnover. If the players are still there that are there from the season before, and if they feel like they're in a better position, uh, that they, I mean, the Bulls have fired uh, former trainer. Uh, Jeff Tanaka, if they feel like they brought in some people to really help with the player development, we should see some growth. We should see uh, all of that. So uh, I don't I don't want to tamper the expectations too much because they still need to be held to a to a uh, to a standard. Um, And just because there's a management turnover doesn't mean that they we should automatically give them the okay to okay tear it all down and build it from the ground up in your likeness when you don't have to because that one that'll take longer the process will be even longer than what it has been uh and if you can work with something why give it away you know if, if you can't work with zach levine if you can't work with Lar- if and get the most out of those guys um why why unnecessarily take the step back if you don't have to you know yeah definitely agree with you on that and one question, curious as far as coaching is concerned, uh, have you ha- do you have any thoughts on who the Bulls should probably go after? I know we've heard names like uh, Im- Imadoko. I know Adrian Griffin has come up, who has a uh, past connection with the Bulls, uh, where because he obviously played for the Bulls, and there's been other names like Kenny Atkinson and various other guys that are out there. Do you have any preferences, or do you know anyone that? that you've talked to personally and that's like names that have been brought up? Um, no, uh, the names that have been rumored, uh, and I put that in air quotes because, uh, again, Jim Boylan still the head coach of the Bulls um, at this current point in time. Um, but no, nothing, no special uh, candidate has, uh, you know, popped up or is in secret meetings with the Bulls uh, at this point in time. Again, they're, they're taking their time with that decision. Um, but in terms of, uh, my personal preference, I don't really have one. Um, because like when people view coaching and, and this is, uh, across all sport, um, it's not just change of person equals success. Like that's not the case. Like it has to, it has to fit. Uh, I mean, if you look at, if you take Jim Boy, if you don't remember anything about Jim Boylan, right, and you just look at his credentials, uh, I remember when they made the the hiring of Jim Boylan along with first-time head coach Fred Hoiberg. Everybody congratulated the Bulls for making that decision. He was a, an assistant coach who worked alongside Greg Popovich, um, who was on Greg Popovich, one of his lead assistants, uh, was with Rudy Tomjanovich. Uh, in Houston, was with uh, Michigan State uh, for for a long time. Um, he was lauded as a he's the perfect guy to go along with uh, Fred Hoiberg, but it didn't fit. Fred subsequently got fired, uh, and Jim Jim's record is Jim's record <laughs> um, with with what it is, and it seems like it it doesn't seem like uh, it's been a a, a quality fit and. And that's important. Um, fit is very important. Philosophy is very important. Uh, getting the players uh, to buy in and, and trust you is very important. All of those are key components. Um, the Bulls have never hired uh, a coach uh, in, a, in, well, in a long time with previous coaching I- experience. And uh, from the names that have, uh, at least some of them that have come up, that may be the trend again. Like, all they are... AK and, and Mark are aware of all of that. Are they going to fire another coach, you know, early in his, his, uh, in his contract? Like that's, that's the thing that is around the league about the bulls. Uh, so they want to really take their time with that. And if they are going to let go of, it's going to be for a reason that they deem is, is necessary. Um, so uh, I don't, I don't, again, I don't have a, a personal uh, preference. Well, I, I will say this: there is a, a narrative about the Bulls about hiring 
first time head coaches all the time, uh, no coaches with prior experience. Um, and that's something that I, that I'm concerned about as well. If you're on the right track from winning uh, to, to start uh, a winning culture, um, it would help to have a coach that has already been through that and understands on how to get that in motion. I will say that, but if they see that, you know, there's a, for it, out of the candidates that haven't been a head coach, there's a Nick nurse in there out of the group. Um, then they need to hire that guy as well. So I don't have a personal preference. Uh, I just want to make sure that they get the right fit to get the most out of the players uh, and that they can work cohesively with. There is no tension amongst their, their grouping. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, in the Bulls organization, some infighting or some rumored infighting somewhere like enough of that. It needs to be solid from the top all the way down to, uh, you know, the last, the very last assistant coach and personal trainer. So that's what I'm looking for. I like the trend of breaking narratives. I mean, they're off to, a, I mean, this whole thing is off to a good start already. I mean, we have a black general manager for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, that's, that's something we've never had before. So, I mean, they already have that. And I mean, AK is someone who they hired outside of the organization no no prior connections not like John Paxson or uh, Jerry Krause who was with the uh, uh, with the uh, White Sox uh, before he came to the Chicago Bulls so I, I already like how the initial hires are starting to break narratives and as you said the, uh, there was a report I think maybe a few weeks back that Rick Carlisle is someone who has told uh, uh, coaching prospects not to really bother with the Chicago Bulls because he doesn't like the way that they treat the coaches. And even though Jim Boylan is not a, a good head coach, I, I, I think you're on point here that it's important for us to realize that regardless of head coaching quality, all of these coaches stick together because it's a brotherhood and there's not many, like there are like 30 head coaches in the NBA. So, I mean, they're all going to stick together, coaches, assistant coaches, whatever. So they they do have to approach this thing right and they do have to be smart about these moves because at the end of the day, they're trying to create, they're trying to rebrand this Chicago Bulls, not only team, but organization and the narratives that come along with it. So they they really have to be delicate in what they do so they don't like take people back to the things that plagued the Gar Foreman and John Paxson regime, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they got to move smart and very, very delicate because you don't, you don't want to still be associated with the negative things that have been around uh, the Bulls. And again, the best part of this pairing right now is they've been a part of organization. So they've heard um, what goes yeah. around <laughs> and, and what's being talked about about the Bulls. So in order for them to change that and not fall into the same traps that the former regime uh, has, they have to be extremely aware about it. Um, and they also have to move delicately, but also with purpose um, in every decision that they make where it doesn't come off uh, the wrong way. Um, and, and you're right. Like, even though Jim hasn't had uh, winning success as a Bulls head coach in terms of record-wise, um, he's still a head coach and he still gets the respect of the coaches uh, in the league because he has achieved that title of head coach. Uh, and, and, and we can talk about, you know, all the, uh, the, the late game timeouts that some coaches didn't like um, <laughs> and his beats with, you know, different coaches or whatever like that. But uh, he does have, you know, friends amongst, I mean, there's a lot of coaches in the NBA, <laughs> you know, so, and you don't want to, you don't want to turn a potential coach that you may hire down, down the road, you know, off because of how you handled this situation. And I think that's important to them and it should be important to them. Uh, and I think it is. Yeah. Cause Jim Boylan, as you mentioned, he's, he's been in this business for a long, long time and has sat on a lot of benches at both the college and professional level. And like, there is a, like you said, there's a possibility that Jim Boylan's experience with the Chicago Bulls could influence a head coach who actually might be really good. And he could just be like, eh, you know, I don't want to coach for the Bulls anymore. Like Jim Boylan said, they're, they're bad people or terrible organization, whatever, whatever. So <laughs> like, that's a possibility. <laughs> 
No doubt, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up or even any shout outs? And obviously, obviously please let our uh, listeners know where they can follow you and and uh, get listen to you, all your podcasts and everything like that. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Tony Gill. Um, I like to have a lot of fun um, and, and talk about meaning, meaningful things, um, especially at this this point in time. And uh you know our country's history. There's a lot going on, and um, Most definitely. I like, I like I, even though we like to have fun, we also you know love the the in depth and and thoughtful conversations that we have there. So uh, follow me on there, and um, also listen to our various NBC Sports podcasts: uh, Bulls Talk, Under Center, um, Cubs Talk, White Sox Talk, uh, Blackhawks Talk. Like I know that sounds redundant, but I mean <laughs> <with all> the, <laughs> the names of the podcast. But I'm telling you each. Uh, have very interesting characters. They have a lot of fun, um, and it, 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 it's a very good podcast network uh, that I get to work with. Uh, and the talent, the amount of talent that I get to work with, like it's it, it's crazy and and it's insane and it's nothing uh, like it. I think in, in this market uh, currently, in terms of a a network that has all your sporting needs, uh, updates you, and also entertains you. Uh, while they give you the the important information so make sure whatever fan you are if you're hockey baseball football or basketball we got you covered at nbc sports chicago um and check all of those out yeah i 100 agree I, everything nbc sports chicago is doing right now is great and obviously i'm more per- particular with the bulls and i don't think who everyone that is currently representing uh the bulls right now for nbc sports chicago i don't think there's been a better cast of of uh, people but together to to you know obviously in game post game pre game and then post post game with the bulls outsiders uh all of those combined um i feel like it's probably been the best cast and crew for sure uh edward any final thoughts as we uh, uh get uh finish up here yeah just uh thanks uh tony for joining us again and uh yeah i just want bulls fans to relax on the jim Boylan thing i mean if it happens, it'll happen at some point. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it happens this weekend, next weekend, August, September. I mean, it's just relax. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. Please give us a follow on Twitter, at Bulls Gold. And you can also now follow us on Instagram under the same name. If you've missed any previous shows, you can find us on all major podcast providers like Apple, Spotify, Google Play. And, of course, continue to tune in at 8 a.m. Central every Tuesday morning on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. Thank you again to Tony Gill for joining us today. And as always, Edward, for Edward Schuler and myself, thank you to all the listeners. Till next time, Bulls fans. 